everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. What we're going to do now is watch a short video. We are running alpha in our church on Sunday mornings with discussion groups after the service. And we have run Alpha during the week uh, in the past, as recently as this past spring. And the people who went through it, and I've, I've been through it myself, just really, we believe that God is doing something with Alpha, not just in the world, which he is, but here. And we've, we've already seen some fruit in that, just in the ways that we've been connecting with each other. But I think one of the, one of the gifts that we have for the world is the hope in Jesus that is unique and that brings something that nothing else can really give us. We are created to be in relationship with him. And so I think going through Alpha is good for even someone who's been following Jesus for a long time because you never outgrow the fundamentals. But it's also like it's good for anybody who's not uh, totally sure about Jesus, even if you've been coming to church for a long time. And the, and the vision in the future is, like if you were blessed by Alpha, that as we go back to hosting during the week in homes, that you, you're thinking about friends to invite, that, oh man, my, my coworker, I think would just get so much out of this. And it's, it's actually pretty fun. It's a, it's a safe space to talk about things that really matter. And so, I mean, let God draw you uh, toward people who he wants to uh, impact. And so with that, it's about a 10-minute video. I'll be back and have a few more things to share, but enjoy. So this would have been about 10 years ago. My wife and I were living in Michigan, and we were starting a church. We were living in an apartment complex, and one of the things that we valued then, as we do now, is neighboring. So just getting to know our neighbors, uh, making friends with them, sharing contact information so we can look out for each other. And I remember on one particularly hot day in July, uh, I bumped into a neighbor for the first time who lived in the, the building over from us. And I'll, I'll just call him Kevin. That's not his real name. But, I mean, it, it was so hot. Like, we had every reason to just be like, see you around. So, I mean, we stood there for what turned into probably a 20-minute conversation out in the parking lot, but sweat is dripping down our faces, and we just get to know each other a little bit. I find out that he's a parole officer, um, and, like, one of the things that he's really concerned about is he's he's waiting to get a bulletproof vest, and I, I find out also that he's married to somebody who's going to uh, Bible college down the street. So we we say we should get together sometime, and, and we do. We have dinner uh, at our house, and we get to know them a little bit more. And they may have come to our church a couple of times. They never really fully connected uh, in terms of, like, coming to our worship services. But uh, months and months and months later, he says, hey, can we do coffee? And I say, oh, of course. Yeah, let's talk. And uh, he, he looks pretty serious. Um, but he says... I'm, I've been thinking about the reality that I might die. My, one of my friends, actually, who does the same thing I do, just was killed. 
And he said, I'm wondering uh, what I need to do to make sure that I go to heaven because, I mean, I'm married to this girl going to Bible school. I go, you know, I go to church sometimes, but I don't really understand what anybody is ever talking about. Uh, and I thought, I actually thought he was making fun of me. Because, like, we, we're, like, very chill about, we talk about Jesus, but we're never, like, pushing people toward a decision. And that's kind of the, the cliche of, like, pray this prayer by the end of the conversation, you know. And I, I didn't think he was being serious. But I was like, okay, you want me to ex- explain to you basically how to invite Jesus into your life? And he's like, yeah. And he was, he was dead serious. And I said, okay, well, you, you can actually have assurance. You can know uh, where you stand with Jesus simply by asking him to come into your life, asking him for help, saying you're sorry. And, like, we don't keep our promises great, but just saying, you are my king, Jesus. And it was kind of one of those, like, pray after me. And it was in his own language, uh, but he, he became a follower of Jesus that day. He could look back on that moment and say, oh, I know where I stand with God and I understand that it's by his grace and by his love that I am saved, not by my effort or by my knowledge or by anything else. And so one of the things that he did that most of us don't do is he actually looked forward and thought, if I were to lose everything in a moment, if my life would come to an end unexpectedly, what happens next? And so I'm going to invite everybody to stand uh, here for a moment. We're going to be reading from Revelation chapter 3, which was already, uh, part of it was read in the video. Uh, I'll be putting up uh, a picture here in a second, but if you have your Bibles, you can open them to that page or to that passage, Revelation 3 verse 15. And this is, actually, this is part of a vision that one of Jesus' disciples has of Jesus after Jesus' death and resurrection, actually many decades after Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, he comes and appears to his old friend on an island called Patmos. And by this time, John is an old man. But this is, this is just one little section of a, of a book that if you want to read it and like think, whoa, that's some crazy stuff, uh, I would recommend getting some maybe help from something or somebody uh, if you want to read through the book. But this, this is words to start with. These are words from Jesus to a specific church. And so he says, I know all the things you do. Maybe these words are actually for some of us today. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. Now listen, this actually feels like a very harsh word. But listen to the tone of this that comes through in verse 19. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So I just gave you a harsh word, a wake-up call, but it's because I love you. So be diligent and learn from your indifference. Verse 20, I look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in 
and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who, with ears to hear, must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Then, as I looked, this is John speaking, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. So this is the voice of Jesus again. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And as you go on in the book of Revelation, it's going to be describing the return of Jesus at some future time. But first is given, John has given this uh, vision of what heaven looks like, like with the veil pulled back just a little. He says, and instantly, verse 2, I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstone like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. And 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumble of thunder, and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. And in front of the throne was a shiny sea glass, sparkling as crystal. So pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask that your word would come and penetrate our hearts, that we would be open to your spirit, that we would be eager to say yes to you and to love and to serve and to just keep, keep on turning back to you and keep on inviting you into our life in a more uh, just uh, sincere and authentic and intimate way that you might come and fill us with all of your self. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Um, I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus is actually pressing these churches toward a future, that moment that my friend Kevin was contemplating. And so these, these Christians think that they're rich. They think that they've got all that they want and that they've been doing like pretty well compared to everybody else, right? But think about, think about what happens at death to our bodies. Like we're, at, we're broke, we're naked, we're blind. And so I wonder if the, these words are a wake-up call to the churches saying, hey, listen, all that you've accumulated for yourself, after death, you, you can't take them with you. But the stuff that I have to offer you, gold, that you can... The word buy is kind of interesting here because he's already said that you're broke. So the gold that you buy must actually come to you for free. White garments, pure, uh, the clothes that you can't take with you, I have something better. White robes that later on are explained to have been washed. And so it's, it's a symbol of purity and, and holiness that is actually given to you to wear. And... Let's see, ointment for your eyes to see, so a spiritual sight to replace uh, what has been consuming our vision, which is the things that you can buy and the experiences that you can have. And so it's, it's concluded with those words, I stand at the door and I knock, let me in, and I will eat with you, and we can be friends. And then interestingly, after after presumably he comes in, he says, now you can come to my house. 
which is a pretty significant upgrade with uh, rainbows and, you know, all this majesty and glory and, uh, I mean, just this amazing throne room. And I would be remiss if I didn't say, like, the Sea of Silver Glass Tolkien actually picks up on. Uh, and if you, have you seen the movies? Please tell me, by now at least. If you're my friend, please take the opportunity. Uh, somebody told me they went and bought the books because I've been mentioning Lord of the Rings in my sermons. I was so, my heart was so filled. But in, in, in Minas Tirith, the orcs are knocking down the gates. And uh, one of the hobbits says, is this the end? I didn't think that it would end like this. And Gandalf says, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. Can you imagine this in your mind? Okay, you've seen the movies, some of you? Okay. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass, and then you see it. What, Gandalf, see what? White shores, and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. And Pepin says, well, that isn't so bad. And Gandalf says, no, no, it isn't. And so that's, that's the invitation. Jesus says, I'm here, let me in. We get it so backwards, don't we? We think we have to go find God. And wouldn't that be troublesome if we had to, like, climb a mountain and search the world and, and suffer, you know, all the things that travelers might if they were trying to climb a mountain to heaven? But he comes to our house. He comes to our heart and says, I, I have loved you from the start. I want friendship and relationship with you, and I have a future that I want to have with you. If you will let me into your house, then I will let you into mine. And it's full of white shores and a green country and a, and a swift sunrise. And yet, many people won't consider faith in Jesus and I want to just talk through those reasons quickly and then offer up a few reasons why you might consider faith in Jesus and then invite us to take a step. And so one reason people don't consider faith in Jesus is the rigidity. So you, you maybe have met someone. You might have been this person yourself. I was. I had to change the way that I treated people because I was fairly rigid. And I used rules to make myself feel like I was better than other people. And you maybe have met Christians who make it all about the rules and all about what you do and what you don't do. And, I mean, it's nothing new because Jesus met people like that too, the Pharisees. And Jesus' harshest words were actually toward the Pharisees. And so if you talk to people who don't have faith in Jesus, they will quickly, almost everyone that I've talked to gets to the point of like, there's, there's religious people that are like kind of, judgmental and jerk-faced, and I'm just like, yeah, I know, that, that I'm sorry you've had that experience, and, and that can be true. Another reason that people don't consider faith in Jesus is, next one, distrust. There's scandals in the church, uh, both sexual scandals, but also like people who, typically the, the people who ask for you to send checks on the mail over TV or over YouTube, like you find out, oh, these guys have been faking healings or uh, manipulating other people. And so, I mean, that's, that's like actually, again, there, there's 
scandal in the church. Another reason people don't consider faith in God is irrelevance. People sometimes are picking battles with culture uh, or with science. Um, and I, I don't know, like also true. Next one would be dullness, Christian jargon and insider debates. So I, I really, I try to do my best to not use jargon. If I use a, a kind of theological term or even a biblical term that's not used in common language, I try to define it or use other words to describe the same thing. I don't know if you've ever been to a meeting. Uh, let, let's just pretend that you don't like football. And I know, I, mean, I actually know this is true for a lot of you, but then you walk into a conversation and two people are talking about the, the Super Bowl that the Eagles won and the, uh, sorry, what's the name of the play, the, uh, the Philly special and how, you know, they, they ran the option. I'm not using even the right words, but like you, you suddenly get into negotiating the safeties and this long history we had with Tom Brady. And if you're not into football, it's like, what? I'm done. I'm so bored right now. But we, we can do that as Christians, too, when we start to inject language. Like, if someone cares about you, they'll listen to you talk about the eagles for a few minutes. But if you start to use language they don't understand, eyes will glaze and they'll back off. And it's the same is true with faith. Um, and the insider debates. Like, man, I used to really care about some of the controversies that churches have with each other. Most people don't care. They're, they're curious to know, is Jesus real? Is God any good to me? Is God out to get me and smite me? Or is God loving? Or like They're, they're, not, they're not too worried about um, the five points of Calvinism. Just as an example, as someone who used to like teach those points. Anyway, next. Oh, is that the last one? Okay, great. Uh, I just want to make one final comment in terms of one of the reasons I think people have a hard time uh, considering faith in Jesus is the stuff we post on Facebook sometimes, <clears throat> especially the political stuff we post on Facebook sometimes, especially if it's mean-spirited or like presented in an obvious way of like, of course, anyone who doesn't think this is dumb. So if you take a political stand on Facebook, just know that pretty much exactly 50% of the country disagrees with you, and pretty much everyone who disagrees with you is going to stop considering you as a reliable witness if those posts become volatile or heated or judgmental or uh, demeaning. Oh, what's the word? Mm, condescending. Any of those things like do real damage to a person's spiritual journey because you've probably also posted, if you're a Christian, something about Jesus. So if, if you only post about, I'm not going to name names, he who must not be named or you know who, exactly, uh, that's you're giving people reasons to walk away from even considering faith in Jesus. Why might you consider faith in Jesus? Here's a few. Maybe there's more to life. We talked about this. Maybe there's more to life than money or entertainment or experiences. People who get to the top know this is the case. Next, maybe the claims of Jesus are true. That would have a significant impact on... Um, a person's life. What's the next one? Maybe life doesn't work without rich connection to a living God. Maybe we were designed for something, and if life isn't working, it's because we're putting in the wrong fuel. Maybe the fuel is rich relationship with a living God. 
And finally, maybe we need to experience ultimate forgiveness. Like maybe we have shame or self-talk that is so demeaning and we put ourselves down or other people put us down. Or maybe we've really actually done something that's really hurt other people. And we need not just forgiveness from them, but like we need ultimate forgiveness. Like you are forgiven and I do love you from a God who created everything. And so I want to, before I move on, make another mention of what if, oh, there it is, Pascal's wager. I was like, where was that? Okay, we mentioned Pascal a few weeks ago, but one of the things that I remember from his writings are uh, he basically makes a, makes a gambling argument for Christianity. Um, and he says, reason cannot disprove God or prove God, but we all have to make this life-altering decision about whether or not God exists, or maybe more specifically, Jesus' claims are true or not. And you can, you can place your bets on one horse or the other horse, but think about the, the potential impacts. If God doesn't exist, then there's really no difference between living your life as if God exists but if God exists and you, just, and you place your wager on the other side, the, the stakes could be very high. The stakes are actually infinite. The stakes like, are like eternal life with Jesus. Like the, that's the potential winnings that you can rake in if you submit and surrender. So yes, you do potentially lose a few things if you bet the wrong, like if you bet like God doesn't ex- exist and decide to live that way. Like you don't, you don't get to be quite as selfish. <laughs> you don't get to do whatever you want whenever you want it, which actually doesn't usually lead to ultimate happiness in this life anyway, let alone ultimate happiness in the next. And so Pascal basically says, for each person, we're faced with a choice. Everyone must make it. Reason doesn't make it for us. We either live our life as if Jesus is king and died for our sins and was raised from the dead, or we don't. But consider what the stakes are at that moment when whatever we earned in this life, whatever we built, won't come with us into the grave. And so here's the invitation to a step. I feel like when it comes to faith and how people express their faith, there's kind of two different directions that we're all moving. The first is a step backward. It's a step, like even people of faith can be taking steps backward. A step backward is saying, I believe these things, don't question my authority. It's true, and if you think it's false, screw you. <laughs> like, uh, it's arrogant, it's unteachable, and it's private. Like, don't, you can't tell me. Like, my, my, my faith is sincere, and I, it's just for me, you know? I'm not inviting anyone else on this journey. It's like very, what's true for me is true for me, and what's true for you is true for Like that's, this to me would be a step backwards. A step forward, even if you've been following Jesus, step forward might be a step toward, I'm open to the possibility of Jesus being real, or it might be simply a step toward humility, repentance, or teachability, or community. Instead of, well, I mean, I kind of like listening to the, guy talk and I kind of like singing the songs toward I'm going to walk with people in 
in community. Like, I'm going to share my life and share my doubts and share my dreams and let them pray for me. And I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to start to, you know, maybe it's life group or maybe it's tripod or maybe, like, today it's simple. It's just, I'm going to join the alpha discussion group. Or maybe it's coffee with a friend that's just, like, a little more intentional where we're going to go a little deeper and maybe read a book of the Bible together or maybe just get past the weather and talk about some things that matter. And so this is the invitation to take a step forward wherever you are toward God and toward each other. Maybe it's the first step in a long journey. Maybe you've never said, like my friend Kevin, wanted and had never said, God, I need your help. I trust you. I need you in my life. I'm sorry. Like in your own words, that's something you can do right now. And if that's you, if that's something you do in the next 10 minutes, I would say find someone to just share that with and say, how can I get better connected? Or what would you recommend I do next? Maybe it's a Again, maybe it's another conversation. Maybe it's saying it in your alpha discussion group. I don't know. But let's stand, can we? Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.